Hi, everyone. It's me, Sandy Cruz of Sandy K Nutrition, health and lifestyle queen. For years now, I've been bringing to you conversations about wellness from experts from all over the world, whether it be suggestions in how you can age better, biohacking, alternative wellness. These are conversations to help you live your best life. I want to live a long, healthy, and vibrant life. Never mind all those stigmas that as we reach midlife and beyond, we're just going to shrivel up and die with some horrible disease. Always remember, balanced living works. I really look forward to this season. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Sandy K Nutrition, Health and Lifestyle Queen. Today with me, I have Dr. Sandra Kaufman, and I got to meet Sandy. She's also a Sandy. I got to meet her at the Biohacking Congress last year in person. We actually had quite a few laughs, and the woman is just brilliant. And we talk in this interview all about the supplements that she believes are really, let's just say, instrumental in longevity. She is a physician and a pretty busy one at that. I'm going to be introducing her shortly, but right now, I want to talk a little bit about when we, you can call us influencers, you can call us people in the wellness space. I myself am a registered holistic nutritionist. I'm also a certified metabolic balance coach. And yeah, I do promote different products. I promote a lot of different products. But I want to make this clear before this episode goes live that I'm not telling you to take them. What I am telling you is about them. And then it's up to you to do your own due diligence on if this is right for you. And Dr. Sandra Kaufman has written actually two books on longevity. She has a longevity protocol and The fact of the matter is, is she's telling you what she has studied and what she may use herself. And I know we get into this in this recording, that some things she pulses in and out. And what I am going to say is it's really critically important for you to have this conversation, probably not with your general physician, because general physicians are not educated in therapeutic grade supplements. Everyone can't know everything. They have their place in the medical field. And typically it's not in supplements unless that is a route that they wanted to take. You can have these discussions with your naturopath doctor, with your holistic health practitioner, who would also have to be trained in therapeutic grade supplements. Most personal trainers are not. Most health coaches are not. So definitely pick your person 
who you trust, who knows you, who knows your body, and knows how you would react to certain supplements. I feel this is important because it actually came up in one of our groups that is really just a group of like-minded women and men where we talk about biohacking. And and then I'm going to also say something else here because I believe in being very transparent. I do promote a lot of products. Most of the products that I promote, I use myself. And if I don't use them myself, I may have my personal reasons why I don't, but that doesn't mean I don't believe in talking about them or educating on them. Okay. So I want to make that clear. So I'll give you an example. Something that I've been using for quite a long time is called Nushido Time Plus. And it's really to help your body to make NAD. Now, what I take, it helps my body to make it. But a lot of people have been taking NAD and NMN, the precursors to NAD, for a long time. And recently, this has been in the news that there are some pretty serious risks. Now, the other thing in this industry, things are always changing. So I do my best to keep abreast of everything that is going on in the studies, but I can't read everything all the time. And back to the whole NAD, I'm taking it right now. I am an affiliate with them. And yes, I do get paid affiliate funds for actually promoting their product. I do. I also use them. But, you know, I may actually pulse that in and out. I may take a break. That doesn't mean that I shouldn't talk about it or that I shouldn't be an affiliate for them because I do believe it's a quality, good product. And on top of this, I provide, as do many other people in the wellness space, a lot of free content. A lot. I educate, actually, constantly on multiple platforms with different content on those platforms for free. So the facts are, there is nothing wrong with influencers getting paid funds for promoting certain products. Now, I do understand that there may be some who go over the top. I typically talk a lot about things that I really love personally. And then this all goes back to my original point, which is just because it's great for me does not mean it's great for you. So I wanted to make that really clear at the start of this conversation because we do talk a lot about supplements. So please, we are not making any medical claims here. We are providing education for you to go back to your own practitioner and see if it's right for you. That's autonomy, you guys. And I think that's a great world that we live in that we can still do this. So, you know, we don't have to have a prescription for everything, but you need to do your own due diligence if these are things that you would like to take. 
couple of announcements. I'd been talking about metabolic balance for a while. I am a certified metabolic balance coach, and I decided I am not doing a group program. The reason I decided that is because this program involves blood work and coordinating blood work because it's fasting too. You know, people are always hesitant. Oh my God, I can't have my coffee, can't have my breakfast. It's not that easy to to actually coordinate people's schedules for everyone to get their blood work done on time by a certain time for the first Zoom coaching session. So I decided I'm working one-on-one with the people who are really serious about it. And those of you came to me, said you're serious about it, and I'm going to work with you one-on-one and I'm honoring that price. If you still want to work with me on metabolic balance, you're going to have to get in touch with me and get on my wait list, sandy at sandyknutrition.ca. And also, I just want to say, you guys, I'm really, really happy. I'm going to be hitting my three-year anniversary soon, and I would really appreciate it if you could go and simply rate, review, and share an episode that you loved with someone else, because this is how we get the word across to everyone that we can age better together, and we do have options. And yeah, I mean, we don't have to get sick and have a disease and feel crappy for the end of our lives, right? So please do that for me and go and follow me. I'm most active on Instagram at Sandy K Nutrition. I'm on TikTok with some different content there. I'm also on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Pinterest. Go and follow me. It's Sandy K Nutrition everywhere. And now let's cut on through to the interview with Dr. Sandra Kaufman. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Sandy K Nutrition Health and Lifestyle Queen. Today with me, I have the lovely and talented Dr. Sandra Kaufman. And actually, we met in Boston at the Biohacking Congress, and we had so much fun. And I was so, I just found her so brilliant. So I said, you need to record with me. And so here we are today. And I'm going to first introduce her background. She began her academic career in the field of cellular biology, earning a master's degree from the University of Connecticut in tropical ecology and plant physiology. Turning to medicine, she received her medical degree at the University of Maryland and completed a residency and a fellowship at John Hopkins in the field of pediatric anesthesiology. For the last five years, she's been the chief of pediatric anesthesia at the Joe DiMaggio Children's Hospital, a nationally recognized center of excellence. Most recently, she was recognized as best in medicine by the American Health Council. Now, her avid interest in the science of anti-aging began many years ago as an intense hobby and utilizing her knowledge in cell biology human pharmacology and physiology, this hobby has now become a main focus. The project represents years of non-clinical research leading to the first ever comprehensive theory of aging. Now, she's also a writer and has written two books on longevity, The Kaufman Protocol, Why We Age, 
And the newest book that was out, I think it was in July, it's, I think it's called Aging Solutions. So it's a continuation. Now I've read the first book and I loved it. And I have yet to read the second book because that's a new one. But without further ado, let me welcome Dr. Sandra Kaufman. Welcome. Thank you. It is so nice to be here. We did have a lovely time in Boston, and yeah. I think it was really funny because officially we are both Sandy K. Yes, so we are. Blonde, and we're both blonde dimpleheads, so it's fantastic. Yes, we did. We had a lot of fun in Boston, and I loved meeting you. And, you know, actually, Sandy and Sandy, we kind of go back and forth a little bit because, you know, Sandy Kaufman is very scientific, and that is your background. And I'm a little bit of both. So, you know, as they say, I'm a little bit country. I'm a little bit rock and roll. So I'm a little bit of both. And so I love the banter that we have back and forth because you question it. But of course, I need to know and everyone else needs to know, what's your story? How did you get into what you do now? Uh, excellent question. So um, I do many things because it's fun and I can. But I started out as a cell biologist uh, I love the way cells work. I was on my way to get a PhD doing it. I ended up bailing and getting a master's because as my father pointed out at one point, cells don't pay bills and I needed to make a living. So I went to med school and, you know, you go through a variety of things. I did a year of neurosurgery. I did a year of general surgery and I ended up doing anesthesia. And the cool thing about anesthesia is basically the study of human physiology. It's how drugs affect the body, how the body affects drugs, right? So we're specialists in dosages and frequency, timing, that sort of thing, especially in pediatrics because every size child is different. So if you combine the knowledge of cells with the knowledge of how pharmaceuticals affect the cells, and then you add on top of that the idea that I don't really want to grow up, um, it became the perfect sort of impetus for like, oh, I can figure out this aging business. Um, I am certainly not a professional athlete by any means, but I am an avid outside person. Uh, I climb mountains. I'm a rock climber as well as a hiker. Uh, I swim a mile every other day. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm very, very, very active. And the goal is just to not age so I can keep doing all the things that I love to do. And granted, it seemed really ridiculous, you know, eight years ago when I said, you know, I'm going to stop aging. I got sort of laughed out of my house and out of the hospital. But it, it became less laughable, right? Now it's actually becoming a reality. We sort of know why cells age to a certain degree. I mean, not entirely, but to a certain degree. And we do have tools to decelerate the process. So it turns out it wasn't as crazy as it seemed. So there are some, there's more than two of the main, uh, there's two main aging pathways, correct? But there's many pathways in which we age. And you kind of get into that in your first book. Do you want to describe very high level what, what these pathways are and why we should, you know, kind of pay attention to them? Oh, absolutely. So if you really thought about it, there's like hundreds of, of, of aging pathways and mechanisms. But what I did is I boiled it down, excuse me, to um, what I call the seven tenets of aging. And it's all based on the way a cell works because obviously I started out as a cell biologist. So tenant one has to do with your DNA and it has to do with changes in your DNA as you get older. 
So um, the three basic mechanisms would be telomere shortening, right? Every time a cell divides, your telomeres get shorter, and it's kind of like a time-ticking mechanism to determine how long your cells are going to live. Uh, the second issue in tenant one is um, epigenetic mechanisms, right? As you age, you get epigenetic changes on your DNA, and it determines how well or how not well you're going to age. And then lastly, I worry about DNA structure. Your structure of DNA falls apart over time. So we work on mechanisms by which we can protect it from doing so. Uh, so that is tenant one. Uh, tenant two is, is energy, right? Which boils down to your mitochondria. And mitochondria fail for many, many reasons in your cell. They fail from a specific sirtuin deficiency. They fail from free radical damage. They fail from uh, nicotinamide deficiency. They fail because the mitochondrial transition pore is more open than closed. So there's a whole slew of reasons that your mitochondrial fail. Uh, the good news, of course, is a lot of these things are reversible. So that's tenant two. Tenant three, I call pathways. Um, I like to think that there are three major pathways that you need to consider. Uh, there's seven mammalian sirtuins in this pile, and they control most of your homeostatic mechanisms of your cell. Then there's the AMP kinase pathway, which is sort of a measurement of energy. And it sort of puts you in a state of hibernation if you have low energy. And that's sort of one of the reasons that caloric restriction works. Because um, if you're hibernating, your cells are slowed down, the damage slows down, and you live longer. And the opposite to that is the mTOR pathway, which actually senses energy and builds things. And this is what you need when you are young, you're trying to build muscle or build tissue of any kind. And there's evidence that if you... Um, decrease the mTOR pathway, you can also live longer. So, that, so that, that's uh, tenant three. Can I ask about... Um, tenant the, four. Sorry. Yeah. Can I on. ask about the mTOR? So it's so interesting, that whole pathway, because you hear from some experts in longevity that if you don't eat, you know, there's there's the to eat protein or not to eat protein, Right. And you speak with some physicians and they're like, well, if you don't get those amino acids, then you, you might live longer, but you're going to be frail, right? From protein. Mm -hmm. So I would love to hear what your personal thoughts are on mTOR and turning it on and off. And is there a way that we can do that? Excellent question. Excellent question. And this, you're right. It's a raging battle. And, and I think that different perspectives come from who people are, right? So as an athlete going into this, I am a huge proponent of maintaining your muscle yes. and maintaining the ability to have cell turnover. So I am not a huge proponent of blocking all mTOR because any fast turnover cells, it's not only muscle, it's also your intestinal cells. Uh, it's also your hippocampus. There's evidence in um, rodent models that if you turn off mTOR, you don't make memories, Right. So you may be really old, but you're not going to remember it. And I think that that's kind of a problem. Um, so I am sure that there's going to be a good balance between partially blocking mTOR, but not entirely blocking mTOR. Um, the people are very into it in terms of like what dose of rapamycin to take. They're like, oh, I'm going to take it once a day or once a month at a very small dose. There's obviously pros and cons to this. I think that the future, there's, there's, there's mTOR1 and there's mTOR2. They're slightly different mechanisms, and I think that rapalogs or different versions of rapamycin are ultimately are going to be the answer. I think the other answer is going to be, it's going to depend on how old you are and what your main goals are. Um, so 
perhaps when you're 40, 50, 60, your perspective on, on muscle and frailty is going to be different, you know, 70s, 80s, and 90s. Yes. I mean, there's lots of studies that have demonstrated that if you take, you know, larger amounts of amino acids as you get older, you actually do better because frailty, um, you know, lack of muscle, um, bad bones, lack of balance, most people, you know, they, they fall down, they break a bone, and then they die. Yes. So clearly you're not going to live forever if that happens to you. So it's a balance. It's a personal choice. Um, what I tend to do is metformin, for example, is a partial mTOR inhibitor because it's also a partial AMP kinase activator. They sort of work backwards to each other. So I take it when I'm not exercising. So for example, when I exercise around the eight hour half-life of the effects of exercise, roughly, right, you could argue specifics, but roughly about eight hours, I'll take things that actually increase mTOR. I'm a huge believer in leucine and branched chain amino acids to activate my mTOR because I want to be strong. I'm a rock climber. On the other hand, when I am sleeping and offset by, you know, X number of hours, I'll take my uh, metformin knowing that I'm going to act deactivate mTOR a bit, but also activate anti-aging pathways. So it's, it's all a balance and it's very personalized to specifically what your goals are and who you are. Super interesting because a lot of times you hear extremes, right? You hear extremes, but you're kind of talking about playing with it, like a little bit back and forth, right? Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And people frequently ask me what my daily plan is. And the answer is it depends on the day. So for example, I'm an anesthesiologist. I'm in my scrubs now because I'm outside of the OR. I'm not going to be able to exercise until seven or eight o'clock tonight, right? So I took my metformin this morning at five or six, knowing that by the time it's out of my body, I will go take my branch chains and go to the gym tonight, right? On a weekend, it flips. I'll get up in the morning and go for a big bike ride or a swim or whatever it is. Uh, and then at night, I take my metformin. So it's if you know what you're sort of, if you know what the mechanisms are, you can play with this to maximize your own program. It doesn't have to be the same every day, right? Because your metabolism is constantly in flux. Okay, I have to say, like, how do you do that? How do you get home from working a long day in the hospital and 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 exercise like that at eight o'clock at night? I mean, I know you and I are close to the same age. I would never sleep, Sandy. Never. How do you do it? I just do. I mean, I get up at 5.15 every morning. I'm at work by 6.30. I get home whenever, usually 5.36, you know, little time with the kids. And that's either off to the gym or the pool. Uh, I get back whenever it is. And then I go to bed at 9.30 and then it just starts all over again. But if I don't exercise every day, number one, I feel like garbage. And number two, I don't have the energy. Exercise begets energy. The more you do, the better you feel and the younger you remain. And in fact, I am so pro-exercise. Um, you know, I frequently preach that you need to exercise. And people ask me about specifics of exercise physiology, of which I am not an expert in any way, shape, or form. So... I actually am teaming up with an ex-Olympic gymnast and we are writing a book on exercise physiology together because I know cells and he knows exercise. So we thought between the two of us, we could come up with some pretty interesting, synergistic new ways to get there. 
Oh, I love it. So we are, we're in the middle of working on that. So give me a year and I will be an expert in exercise physiology. Okay. Awesome. Let's continue with your um, seven tenets of aging. Cause we stopped at, I stopped you at mTOR. Ah, uh, yes. Okay. So the next ones are way less controversial. So tenant four, I call quality control. And it has to do with the idea that your cell is going to be damaged and you need to fix it. So in this category, we talk about DNA repair mechanisms, of which there are four or five, depending on how you count them, um, and protein repair mechanisms. Your body makes roughly 10,000 different proteins. And as you get older, the mechanisms to make them and keep them in their three-dimensional conformational form fails. Right, So you have an extremely elaborate system to make and keep proteins the way they need to be. And of course, over the course of time, they break down, so your proteins fail. So repairing your DNA and proteins are extraordinarily important. Uh, and then the last thing in this category is autophagy, which is recycling of the pieces and parts that you can't fix. Right, So it's all sort of like quality control in my mind. Yes. Um, so that's five. Six has to do, I call it the security system, and it's basically your... Uh, immune system that turns into your inflammatory system over the course of time, right? Your uh, immune system is supposed to do two essential things. Number one, protect you from outside foreign invaders. And two, protect yourself from your own cells that have gone rogue. So for example, if you have a cancerous cell, your natural killer cells are supposed to, you know, identify it and get rid of it. Mm -hmm. But over the course of time, as your immune system fails, you get more infections uh, latent infections that you carry with you become worse, right? Uh, tuberculosis is the prime example. It's in your body. As you get older, you can't fight it anymore, and then it sort of revs up, and you're, you're seriously in trouble. You don't respond to vaccines as easily. Um, you have more senescent cells, and then you have more cancerous cells because you're just not cleaning them out. So that's, your, that, that's tenant number five. Uh, tenant number six uh, is the recognition that different cells have different requirements. So a red cell, for example, that lives only three months um, has very different requirements than a liver cell, which lives about 10 years, versus a brain cell that's going to live your entire existence. So if they're mobile or if they're not, um, obviously they're going to have different requirements. In this category as well, I put stem cells. Uh, we want to keep our stem cells as healthy as possible for as long as possible. Um, and then senescent cells, which of course accumulate over time and with pathologic damage, and we want to eradicate those. So this is like just the very specific cell requirement category. And then the last uh, tenant is what I call waste management. And this is like the byproducts of stuff that you just, you need, but you have too much of. Uh, the prime example, of course, being glucose or, or the sugars, right? So reducing sugars in an oxidizing condition becomes something called AGEs, advanced glycation end products. And they destroy proteins, they destroy tissues, they destroy just pretty much everything uh, in your body over the course of time. So therefore, the control of glucose and all of its derivatives is, is extraordinarily important. And then lastly, in this category is the accumulation of lipofusion. Because as your cells undergo autophagy, it stores pieces and parts that it can't recycle in the back of the cell and liposomes. Um, and they just sort of accumulate over the course of time. So if you have cells that... Um, short-lived, you can sort of get rid of some of the liposome or uh, some of the lipofusion accumulation. But for long-lived cells, like your brain cells, you can't. So if you look at an old person's brain, generally speaking, they are clogged with lipofusion accumulation, which clearly blocks cellular function, which is yet another reason why people don't think as clearly as they get older. Oh, 
Well, anyway, so in, in a very large nutshell, that would be the seven tenets of aging. Okay, that was actually explained very, very clearly. So I like that. Now, I'm going to ask you about some of the supplements. I think people are fascinated with supplements, but they have no idea how to take them, when to take them, what does what. I mean, I've done consults just for supplements, just for that, because you go into um, a natural health food store and there's a million supplements. So it's like, well, which ones do I take? I don't know what you think about multivitamins. I'm personally not a huge fan unless there's a specific reason for it. I like targeted. This one does this. This one does that. So I know, and I know you like targeted supplements as well. So I'm going to just ask you about certain supplements and then you're going to tell me about them. Does that work? Well, so, so before we do that, I'm going to give you my theory of them. Okay. Because okay. Okay. Before I went down the pathway of longevity, I was staunchly opposed. I thought that they were ridiculous. Oh, interesting. Right? Okay. I thought because Western medicine teaches you that it's absurd. Yes. So I, I came into all of this thinking, oh my God, this is utterly ridiculous. They're just making zillions of you know dollars doing absolutely nothing. But in my studies of cellular biology, what I have discovered is that you can look at supplements at various levels. And number one, I, sep I separate supplements from adjuvants because that's very important uh, metabolically. A supplement is something that you already have in your body that you are adding back, right? You're supplementing the amount of endogenous stuff. And an adjuvant is something that your body's never seen, right? Oh. It's something from the outside world, right? And the reason that's important is because supplements have feedback loops and adjuvants do not, Right. Ooh. So if you are taking something that you already have and you take too much of it, you're going to you're going to turn off the feedback loop. So you're not going to be able to endogenously make the same product. An adjuvant doesn't really matter. You can take as much astaxanthin as you want, for example, and your body is not going to do anything because it, it's, 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 it's not a natural thing. Right. There's no enzyme that specifically metabolizes astaxanthin versus carnosine, which is a it's, it's a supplement because it's something you naturally have in your body. So you have an enzyme called carnosine ACE that breaks down your carnosine. So the more carnosine you take, the more enzyme you make, and therefore the less carnosine you end up with in the first place. So therefore, supplements you should theoretically pulse because you don't want your enzymes building up to destroy them all. You also change the receptor number. So if you bulk up on a ton of steroids, for example, you're gonna downregulate the receptors on the cell so the bigger amount has less of an effect, right? Adjuvants don't do that because there aren't any endogenous receptors or feedback loops. So kind of a big difference. Anyway, so that, that's sort of caveat number one. Caveat number two is when you look at a supplement, and now we can use it as a generic term like all of them. I call them molecular agents because it's easier. You have to do two things. You need to think about are you targeting an organ? Are you targeting a cell? And what is your endpoint? So, for example... I target cellular processes. So I have this entire rating system whereby agent X, I look up every possible piece of information on and all the scientific literature, anything you can find ever. Does what does it as an example, what does um, agent X do for your DNA? Does it do anything for your telomeres? Is it an epigenetic modifier? Does it help your your uh, DNA structural support, right? What does it do for your mitochondria? And this takes months. 
But every agent I've looked at extensively, thousands and thousands of research articles. Um, and if an agent does nothing in a particular category, it gets a big old zero, right? If it does something in a test tube or a culture, it gets a one. If it does something in an animal model that's not human, it gets a two. And, it's, and if there's evidence in humans, it gets a three, right? Mm. So every agent that I look at comes with a seven-digit barcode, essentially, right? So it's 2.3.0.1. whatever, seven digits. The idea is when you are trying to come up with a longevity protocol, it's a numbers game and not a guessing game. That's the theory, right? Because the idea is not one agent helps your kidney and one agent helps your bone necessarily. They all help all of your cells, but to what extent and in which category? So it's all now charted to make it significantly easier. And when, you, when people also say, well, it, you know, oh, this is good for your bone, that's good for your brain, what's the difference? The answer is it depends on what they've tested it in right? If all of the studies on agent X have been done in bone and they're great, you go fantastic. It helps with your bone. It may do the same thing for your kidney, but if we haven't looked, we just don't know, right? Because cells are cells and it's moderately irrelevant as to what body part they're in. The exception of course, being the brain, because to get agents into your brain, it has to pass something called the blood brain barrier. Mm -hmm. So the brain is very good about discluding foreign objects. So very specific things can get through the blood-brain barrier to get to your neurons to help your cellular processes. So that, that's slightly different category. But the way I think about supplements is, or molecular agents, is what do they do for your cells in entirety um, such that your entire cell, organ, body system can then work as efficiently as possible? So that is a really long way of explaining my, my theory on that. Okay, so... But you also, you, like we were talking about, you take, you know, you take supplements that kind of address all these seven tenets of aging, right? Like you take one, oh, like you target them according to what you want it to do. And you know the pathway of what it's going to affect exactly, right? Right. So, so as, as an example, here, here's an example, nicotinamide, right? Everyone's excited about like nicotinamide precursors and not nicotinamide itself because NAD, but anyway, NAD precursors, nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide precursors, right? Yeah. Um, the big war is either nicotinamide riboside or nicotinamide mononucleotide. Then there's IVs and there's patches and there's nasal spray. So what's the big deal about NAD? That's the question, Right. So it does, turns out it does four things, right? So it is a necessary cofactor uh, for your sirtuin activation, mm -hmm. right? Sirtuins control all cellular homeostasis, and this is in the pathways category. If you don't have NAD, your sirtuins aren't going to work. So your entire cell homeostasis is gone, right? That's one. Uh, two, your body takes the NAD molecule apart and uses pieces of it to fix your DNA. So it's extraordinarily important in the quality control category because you use it for DNA repair mechanisms. If you're NAD deficient, you're not fixing your DNA, right? It is extremely important in the third category of mitochondrial energy production because it's an important part of the electron transport chain between complex one and complex two. So again, if you're NAD deficient, you're not making energy. 
right? And then lastly, it's a communication device between your mitochondria and your nucleus telling your cell how much energy you have or don't have, right? So you would say to yourself, well, why, why would I take that? You all know that I've been a huge fan of Amino Co. amino acids for quite a while now. People automatically think that, oh, well, I don't need to take amino acids. I don't want my muscles to get bigger. But this isn't what amino acids are all about, really. Amino acids are the building blocks to protein. But guess what? I know I personally don't have the greatest digestion. And so even though I am eating the right amount of protein for my frame, I may still not be digesting and assimilating those all-important amino acids. So really, amino acids are not just about building muscle, although I do take it before I work out. It's about aging better, and it's about ensuring that your entire body has those proper building blocks it needs to age better, and that means benefiting the body, the mind, the heart. As we're aging, we have a natural decline in muscle all over the body. And we also have, unfortunately, digestion issues more often than not as we age. Life Amino Acids by AminoCo mm. helps to trigger muscle protein synthesis, which is the body's mechanism for repairing and building muscle. You can check out all of the science by visiting aminoco.com forward slash SKN for Sandy K Nutrition. When you use that link and that code SKN, you're going to get 30% off to try AminoCo amino acids for yourself. Well, for all of those reasons, right, you want to decrease cancer risk, you want to increase cellular homeostasis, and you need more energy levels, right? That's how you go from a cellular perspective to a body perspective. I don't take it to make my brain happier. I take it to make all of my cells healthier, which is actually also kind of a little bit confusing to people because then they're like, well, can I take it when I have cancer? And the answer is no, because not only is it making your regular cells healthy, it's making your cancer cells healthy too. So- that is one of those, you, your body doesn't discriminate between I'm going to send the good, healthy stuff to the good cells and not to the bad cells, right? So this is where you show up to figure out like, what are my medical medical conditions and blah, 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 blah. But anyway, but that's an example of how you take a cellular process and extrapolate it. Does that yes, make sense? It totally makes sense. And, but you know, most of the people that listen, they'll be like, okay, I don't have energy. That's something that I know is going on. The other stuff is under the hood, so I don't really know what's going on there. But this is something that could be helpful in all of those categories. You're just going to really feel it more in your energy, right? Oh, 100%. So I do the same consults that you probably do, and I ask people for their aging concerns, right? And you can extrapolate backwards, so if someone's in their mid 40s says, oh my God, all of a sudden I'm really tired, I'm eating the same thing, but I'm gaining weight, that's an NAD deficiency. Yeah. Right? But then it could so also it could also cross over to um, I forget which tenant, but the one that relates to glucose too, right? 
there's crossover. Well, it's 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 all well, it's all interrelated. Um, yeah. I try to keep things in the glucose category, sort of more transglycosylating or AGE blockage or or that sort of thing. But the answer is they can theoretically help in all categories because once you maximize cells, all of the categories are going to do a little bit better, and it's all synergistic. And the other point to the numbering system is is this when you, when people decide, and again. Different people need different agents. It depends on who you are, what your you know comorbidities are, and that sort of thing. But when you take the whole point of the numbering system is you line up the numbers, and at the bottom, if you've got sixty-seven points in category one and Zippo in category seven, maybe your algorithm isn't quite right. Right? Maybe you need to even out the point system so that all of the categories of aging are covered. Because you know what, what the least common denominator is going to be the one that kills you. Right. So you need to sort of get the lowest hanging fruit in each category to maximize health as easy as possible. You know, so I mean, so people say, like, if they want to take just a few, then I give them like the biggest bang for their buck selection of a couple of them. Um, and if people are like, oh, my God, I want to get rid of every possible reason I'm aging, then you can take a 100 of them. So, again, it's all personal choice. OK, which are your biggest bang for the buck? NAD's got to be one. Oh yeah, so Firmity? this is actually funny. So actually, I know you're going to no, talk. That's, an, that, that, that's a secondary. Oh, okay. I, I will, I'll explain. Okay, I'll okay. Explain. So it started. It started out. Uh, I did this four years ago, right? And the first thing was like, what were the biggest bang for your bucks? And it was they kind of spelled out panacea, which was quite helpful. So P was pterostilbene, which I like better than resveratrol. But of course, then there's like the question of lipids, right? Because that, I mean, it does many, many, many things. But the biggest thing it does is a sirtuin activator. Got to get your sirtuins going. And after the age of 40, your sirtuins are dropping. Um, in fact, uh, sirtuin 3, which is the big one in the mitochondria, it's 3, 4, 5, but 3 sort of like the master regulator. By the time you are 30, your sirtuin 3 is dropping. Wow. By the time you are 60, it's abysmal. So you've got to activate your sirtuins, right? And if you want a general sirtuin activator, pterostilbane or resveratrol, the way or go. If you want to be more specific than that, you can just activate three or you can just activate six because those are the big ones, one, three, six. But Can I ask you a question? Is... I have to jump in. Sure. I have to jump in. So yeah. you said by the time you're 60, the sirtuins have... Oh, your, your sirtuins are... Can you... Garbage. Okay. Does that mean... Let's say you're 60 and you just want to start. Is it just going to be a harder or longer start? Yeah. It's just going to be harder Absolutely. and longer, right? So start when you're Absolutely. younger. Okay, I had to interrupt you on that. Yeah, no, in fact, it's funny. People ask, well, when do I start? And the answer is 35. <sighs> I mean, you don't need everything at 35, but if you start at 35, you're going to be way less behind the eight ball because by the time you're 40, you're NAD deficient. By the time you're 45, your sirtuins are in the toilet, right? And it just gets worse from there. So yeah. I have people in their mid-30s starting free radical scavengers and epigenetic modifiers, right? But as you go, different things fall apart, and so you just have to track it. But it's almost like, you know, I will I say this all the time. I'm like, well, it's harder to fix when you're already sick. You know, you want to try and be proactive. So it's the same thing with this whole aging and longevity. Be proactive. Work on it before you start to see all the symptoms come up, right? Oh, with that, yeah, absolutely. You are absolutely on point with that. Yeah. The problem, of course, is that people think that longevity medicine is crazy. Um, you know, our job and your job, because you're the podcaster, 
is to convince people that it's not crazy. It is completely a legitimate science. And the more you do proactively, the better you will be. Um, you know, the argument that people always have is, well, I don't want to live older because they picture some old crotchety dude sitting in his wheelchair, you know, with trach. And that's miserable. But if you can be the same age and be sprightly and doing your thing and having a great life, then then it's worth it. You and I will be hiking Sedona Red Rocks. We absolutely, I'll be, I'll be like, I'll jump out of the helicopter or meet you there. <laughs> oh, I don't know about that. Yes, oh yeah. In fact, it's funny because I, I feel so energetic. I applied and I'm waiting to hear this week. I applied for a NASA mission. Like why the hell not? I love and it. I went down to NASA and they looked at me. They're like, you know, you're getting kind of old because I'm 54. And they're like, the cutoff is 55. And I'm like, I got a year. Let's go. Let's do and this. They thought I was nuts, but I'm like, you know, why not? Here we are. Let's do this. Yeah, I love it. I love uh-huh. it. Okay, we got anyway, we got sidetracked right, so, again. Panacea. Right, so, I know, it's so easy. I get so easily sidetracked. <laughs> okay, so in the panacea, the first thing is 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 monster sirtuin activation. And keep in mind that both terastilvin and resveratrol do other things. It has many many points in many categories, but the strongest, most important thing is that they're sirtuin activators, right? Um, if you follow the word panacea, A comes next. Astaxanthin is the best natural free radical scavenger that's oil-based that we have. It comes from algae. Uh, it's completely natural. It has zero side effects. Um, it's a once-a-day dosing. It's an amazing, amazing substance because as you get older, you can't get rid of free radicals. When you're younger, uh, you have endogenous systems to get rid of them in your mitochondria. As you get older, those enzymes fail. So astaxanthin not only is a free radical scavenger itself, um, localizing to the mitochondria, but it also makes your body produce more of its own endogenous free radical scavengers. Um, it's also a bit of an anti-inflammatory. So when people are like, oh, I got some joint pain and I'm old and I'm out in the sun a lot, astaxanthin is crucial. Um, anyway, so that that's key number two. Key number three, PAN, is, is your nicotinamide um, precursor, NAD precursor. And I keep saying just nicotinamide, but that's, it's, that's inaccurate. It's, it's an NAD precursor. Right. Crucial after the age of 40. What's your favorite um, brand? Curcumin. Can I ask you, Sandy? You no, know I, I bounce around. Um, they're all really good. I think that people always ask about the IV infusions, which I think are a little bit um, excessive and they're ridiculously expensive because people just want money for, you know, an IV. Um, I think that NR and NMN are probably pretty comparable. To be perfectly honest, I get the one that's cheaper and then it's on sale. <laughs> Um, just the way that it is. Okay. Um, curcumin is next. Um, regular curcumin is fantastic, but the bioavailability is terrible. So you need to make sure you get a bioavailable form. And now there's, they come in, there's so many options. My favorite at the moment comes from Rev Genetics. It's called Metacurcumin. It's in a nanomycel and the, um, the bioavailability is just through the roof. It's fantastic. But there are many, many, many types of bioavailable curcumin. And the reason, the big standout in this category is that it's one of the strongest anti-inflammatories that we have. Um, it is absolutely just fantastic. And it does a, a variety of things in other categories as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the last thing in the baseline panacea is carnosine. Carnosine is a supplement, right? Because you already have it in your body. And one of the important things that that does is it's transglycosylating agent. 
So when glucose or reducing sugar goes to attach to a protein, the first uh, several en- non-enzymatic processes are reversible, and then after that, it becomes non-reversible. But it, while it's reversible, I always say that if you add, you know, if, you, if, if, if there's two molecules or two people and they're dating and they're not completely attached yet, and you add a more attractive molecule, glucose is going to jump ship. Glu- you know, glucose is just sort of slutty in that way. Um, <laughs> and there's it. lots of uh, molecules that are very attractive, like hydrolyzine does it. Anyway, there's a lot. Um, but, you know, carnosine, it's, it's a transglycosylating agent because it takes the glucose off of a protein, it sticks to the, the dipeptide, and then you excrete it. So glucose management is extremely crucial. Um, anyway, so when I first created what would be your biggest bang for your buck, that was top five. Terastilbene, astaxanthin, nicotinamide, curcumin, and carnosine, right? Then, you know, years later, all of a sudden, spermidine comes on the scene. Spermidine is absolutely amazing. So this is like mandatory part two, right? And the reason it's so cool is it does things that the other ones don't on a molecular basis, right? So spermidine, uh, and, and stop me if your people already know all this. No, go for it. You, you know what, S- Sandy, this is one of the things, this is one of the molecules, spermidine, that needs to just keep being talked about because people will be like, spermidine, but what does it do? And you, I keep hearing that over and over again. I'm like, I've recorded like two or three different podcasts talking about it. So by all means, it needs to be talked about more and more. Oh, great. Well, easy, easy stuff. I was, I, I mean, it does, it does many, many things, right? It's one of those, it gets points in every category kind of agents. The big two that are important is that number one, um, it is a very long, positively chain, ch- charged linear chain. And it likes to fit into the very long, negatively charged grooves of your DNA. There's a major groove and a minor groove. It's like a, if you think about your DNA, it's a ladder and it's twisted and it's not yeah. completely symmetric. It's slightly asymmetrically twisted. So there's a bigger groove and a slightly smaller groove, neither here nor there. Spermidine likes to fit into those grooves. And what that does, it essentially bubble wraps your DNA and protects it from assaults to your DNA. So I like to consider it as a, as, as a DNA bubble wrapping thing. It, it protects you, theoretically reducing risk of DNA damage. It, that works in a test tube. We don't have proof in, in, in cells yet, but in a test tube, it absolutely works. So that's amazingly cool. It's the only thing that I know that does that. Secondly, it's one of the most potent autophagy activators. And we know that by activating autophagy, it's correlating with increased lifespan and health span. So those are two things that the original five couldn't do. So it's crucial. The key, of course, is it's really quite expensive. And so people are like, they shy away from it because, you know, can you actually feel anything? Do you actually see anything? That's it. Uh, that, 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 right? That's arguable. Some people say their hair is better. Some people say they sleep better. Some people say their mood is better. Um, but that is very person dependent. Totally. Um, and Right. And when people sometimes don't see specific one-to-one associations, they bail on something. But personally, I take a ton of spermidine a day. How much? But I take a lot of things. How much do you take um, of spermidine? That's a good question, actually. I take about one gram a day at yeah. dinner. I think that's about right. I think I take it. I think it works out to be like 1.2 or 1.3. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's close to that. 
It's it's Most one of those it. supplements. It's like what you said. I've heard that from people where they're like, uh, you know, it's it is really expensive and I don't actually see anything. But then you hear of some people reversing their gray hair. That didn't happen to me. It's been about two years. I've still got my grays. Um, but I do believe that it helps with like when you see that your nails are growing better. And your eyelashes are thicker and your hair is shinier. Well, something's doing that, right? And isn't autophagy one of the things that can show outwardly through your hair, your skin, your nails? Which actually, so the answer is absolutely right. But the other thing I wanted to mention earlier is is you said that you were not a big proponent of a multivitamin. Yeah. I'll tell you that I'm a huge proponent of a multivitamin. Okay. Because I didn't used to be. But I am now, and I tell people to take a half a dose of a prenatal vitamin. Oh. The reason I do that, the reason I do that is because people suffer by the time you get to your 40s and 50s because of your diet specifications, you suffer from micronutrient deficiency. True. And you need very small quantities of very specific nutrients to make cell types. So, for example, if you are selenium deficient, um, your SODs are going to go down the tubes. Um, your SRDs are superoxide dismutase, right? And there's a manganese one and there's, there's a variety of very important little nutrients attached to these things that you would never want a whole lot of, right? Cause it could be theoretically toxic, yep. but in very small quantities you need. And prenatals are designed specifically for brand new baby cells. Well, why not treat our own cells like brand new baby cells? Cause that's what you're making. Your cellular turnover is outrageous. Um, and what's interesting is when women have children, we take prenatals, right? And your hair grows and your fingernails grow True. and your skin glows. And people are like, this is amazing, right? Soon as you're not pregnant anymore, people stop and it all stops. And you're like, why? Why can't we do that all the time? And the answer is you can. You don't need the same dose because you're not making a baby, but you need the same profile of nutrients. I get that. I get that. And, you know, I also, I would recommend it to clients especially for their university students. So in certain situations, like I look at, I look at my kids and the way that they eat from, you know, it's almost embarrassing that their mother is a nutritionist and the way that they eat. So I do see a place for it. And what you're saying makes a lot of sense because we get less efficient at absorbing a lot of those nutrients too, right? So yeah, absolutely. It, it does make sense. You know, we have other issues like stomach acid deficiency and all kinds of other stuff. So I totally get that. So, you know, I'm not a proponent of huge ones, but like, a, 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 you know, a, a reasonable fractionated dose, I think, is appropriate for anyone. Mm-hmm. The other mm-hmm. thing that happens is, you know, once you grow up eating whatever X products you're going to eat, by the time you're 30 or 40, your eating habits are not going to change. They're not, right? Generally speaking, you're not going to all of a sudden go, oh, you know, I, maybe, maybe some people do. But in general, people get into an eating rut. And whatever nutrients are in your particular food choices, you are fine with. And whatever is missing, you're going to be extremely deficient 20 years later, right? So the answer is, don't let your metabolic system suffer from your dietary choices. Mm-hmm. And and I'm a famous junk food junkie. I mean, I, I really eat like crap, but <laughs> I make sure that I'm not nutrient deficient. And then I block all the things that are bad for me from absorbing. Like, cause it's another one of these, like let's, let's outsmart our own system sort of deal. 
Which yes. is ludicrous, but I do it anyway. But that's what we were talking about before. And what I heard from Dr. Chris Shade, you are an age rebel. And I think for people who live with vibrancy and joy and um, have a really enriched life, you kind of have to be a little bit of an age rebel, but you want to offset any of the damage that it's doing, right? Oh, 100%. Absolutely. So people come to me like, do I have to give up smoking? And the answer is, well, you should. You should. But if you don't, it's like a billion free radicals per puff. Well, you know, you better stock up on your free radical scavengers. That seems like a no-brainer. Yes. Right? If you're going to eat a lot of fatty junk food, block liver enzymes or, you know, block the enzymes that put the fat in your cells. Mm-hmm. You can outsmart bad habits if you think about it on a cellular or molecular level. I mean, it, it's, it's not that hard. In yeah. fact, when, when we met, my, my, my famous lecture, of course, is how to block glycation because you can eat as much sugar as you want if you, if you follow the seven-step glycation blockage. And granted, when I gave this lecture, everyone stared at me like I was an absolutely insane human, but it absolutely <laughs> works. You can block glycation. Uh, maybe this is going to be the one podcast that my husband actually listens to. We'll see. Because he's a smoker. He loves sugar. He, he loves his beer. So, you know, he's looking to me to keep him going, Sandy. He's looking to me. Well, I got to tell you, those are my happiest clients because they're like, what? I don't have to be perfect? And the answer is no. You don't have to be perfect. You just have to know what your deficiencies are and fix them. Yes. Right? Yeah. You can block carbohydrate absorption. You can block fat absorption. You can do pretty much anything if just, you know, if, if you know what you're trying to battle. Anyway, so you know what? Have your husband call me. I'll, 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 I'll tell him what to do. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and he'll you listen. Know. He'll listen. He's a good listener. He just isn't a good um, habit changer. Let's just say that. So, um, okay, so what are your thoughts on berberine? Everybody's talking about berberine. What do you think? So, interestingly enough, berberine despite being extremely molecularly different than metformin, works almost exactly like metformin. But what's cool about it is it has different side effect profiles, right? So there are studies that demonstrate that the best way uh, to control metformin versus berberine is to combine them. And and I I love the combination studies because what it does demonstrate, generally speaking, is if you take two things that are similar, the effects are always synergistic, which means you need a lower dose, thus less side effects with the same outcome. Um, so 500 of berberine um, and 500 of metformin eight hours apart is better than 500 of metformin twice a day or 500 than berberine twice a day. So they're synergistic with less side effects. It's fantastic. That is interesting. Like, What are the side effects of metformin? Uh, mostly GI upset. Yeah. Um, people just, you know, two to three weeks of gurgling diarrhea that usually goes away, but doesn't have to go away. Um, if you take too much metformin, theoretically, there's a risk of decreasing cell turnover in your hippocampal cells. And I actually think I experienced that. I was taking 850 twice a day and my memory was either that or it's just life causing me to have stress. So I came off of all of metformin, waited six months and went back to 500 and, and it seems to be fine. Um, the other issue with metformin is if you are under significant physiologic stress, it can theoretically precipitate lactic acidosis. 
So when I do high mountain climbing or something, uh, uh, you know, I'll come off of it. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. You often see berberine with ALAs, alpha lipoic acid. Like, what do you think of that combination? And wh- why would they combine the two? That's an excellent question. Alpha lipoic acid is is a fantastic um, free radical scavenger. It does a lot of really, really good things. Why they have selected to do those two together is beyond me. Because honestly, there's 67,000 combinations that could be equally or better. So I don't actually know. I can't give you a molecular uh, explanation of that. Okay. Because it's interesting. You talk- probably some, my, my best guess would be there's probably one study that demonstrates a positive synergism and then people jump on the bandwagon and make a product. Yeah. That is usually the way that happens. Yeah. But what's really interesting is that it can sometimes cause that GI upset with those, just like the metformin. It's kind of interesting. 100%. 100%. Okay. So lower, lower dose, a little bit of each one seems not to do it. Yes. Okay. Good to know. And ECGC. So Uh, from green tea. Main active ingredient in green tea. It's fantastic. Okay. What does it do? Why, why would somebody want to take that? So, it does innumerable things, free radical scavenger. The thing that I like about it the most is that it's extremely potent epigenetic modifier. So oh. what? So epigenetics, right, in case people don't exactly know what I'm talking about, the most – so epigenetics – do you want me to explain this or not? Like, yes. I don't know yes. No. Right. So – if you look at a piece of DNA, as we said before, it's a, it's a, it's a ladder and it's twisted, right? Um, on the sides of the ladder, it's specific combinations between C and G, cytosine and guanine. A methyl group, which is a carbon with some stuff hanging off of it, sticks to it. It's called methylation. I draw it in my book like they're little lollipops, yeah. which of course they're not, but it's easy visualization, right? So that is a methyl group on your DNA, that is an epigenetic, epi meaning on top of your DNA modifier that controls if that sequence of DNA can get utilized, right? To make a protein, you have to unwind your DNA, make an RNA template, and then make a protein. But if if, if there's stuff stuck to it, you can't do that, right? So that's the most basic epigenetic modifier. DNA is also packaged around things called histones. So there's little protein globs, and it's usually in a four by two um, picture. When you, people draw it, it's like you know, eight eight circles stuck together. It doesn't exactly look like that in real life, but that's what it pictures as. And DNA wraps around these histones, and it controls it. It sort of makes it more compact. And there's a thousand different things that can glue itself onto histones that control if that DNA can get unwrapped or not. So it's acetylation, it's phosphorylation, it's methylation, it's sumolization. There's a whole lot of them. But these are epigenetic control of what DNA gets processed. There are bad epigenetic changes. So, for example, smoking, alcohol, uh, being overweight, that sort of thing have negative epigenetic consequences that prevent you from using the DNA that you need to do. There are positive epigenetic modifiers that free up your DNA to a certain degree and it's it's not a it's not an easy one to one thing, but allows you to have better access to your DNA. And epigenetic changes are why identical twins look different the older you get. 
their environment is different. Their air is different. Their life choices are different. So they look less and less and less similar from an epigenetic perspective. So there's actually something called an epigenetic diet, which are positive influencing epigenetic agents that you can take in to make your epigenetics as helpful as possible. And of course you can get your epigenetic clock checked. Um, Steve Horvath came up with the first epigenetic clock and he looked at 363 areas of your DNA, blah, blah, blah. Uh, And it was just, it wasn't histones. It was just um, your DNA in terms of methylation patterns. And over time, some areas get hyper and some areas get hypomethylated. And if you compare that to the norm, then you know theoretically what your physiologic age is. So there are some things just absolutely positively affect your epigenetic age. And one of the most potent is ECGC from green tea. And that's a really long explanation of, of ECGC. Okay. Now I know ECGC as having some great effect on skin, right? Like on things yep. like candida overgrowth, you know, cause I'm a nutritionist. So what, what other things does it do that somebody would go, Oh, you know, that's kind of something cool that I'd look into. So it does lots of things. It's, it's so it's a free radical scavenger, it's an anti-inflammatory. I mean, that's why people put it on their skin, essentially, right? There's like, like the green tea mask. Yeah. It's just, it's just a huge anti-inflammatory. And the molecules do get in transdermally, and they, they decrease uh, inflammatory processes. Absolutely. I mean, it, it's one of my absolutely favorite agents. Um, yeah, I can't, I, it's, it's just fantastic for people. Nice. And people love to drink green tea. And I always find that moderately amusing because, in generally speaking, in one glass of green tea, there's 40 milligrams of ECGC, um, but a capsule has 400 milligrams. Yes, yes. Oh, the other really nice thing about um, ECGC is it causes weight loss. It changes the way you process fat. And there used to be this thing called the green tea diet, and you had to drink like 40 glasses of green tea, and then you would lose weight. Um, in reality, all you have to do is like take two or three capsules of green tea a day, and you will lose weight. Yeah, that would be nice. Um, okay, let's move on to carcetin because I think that you're a big fan of that as well. Quercetin, I love quercetin. Uh, quercetin and fisetin fall roughly into the same category. Okay. Uh, quercetin comes from onions. Fisetin comes from strawberries. Um, uh, two cool things. The two coolest things about quercetin. Number one. It is a mast cell stabilizer. What does that mean? When you have um, an inflammatory reaction, mast cells, which are part of your immune system, release histamine. Histamine causes redness. It causes your blood vessels to be leaky. It causes you to itch. Anyone that's been stung by a bee knows histamine release. It's nasty, right? Uh, Also, if you have asthma or any allergic reactions, you have a huge histamine release. So by stabilizing the mast cell, you have decreased histamine release. Therefore, you have less of an inflammatory reaction. Um, I put a good friend of mine on this who had asthma. And after being on it for three months, he came off his asthma medications and has never been on it again. So remarkable. The other cool thing about quercetin, of course, is it's used as a senolytic agent. Um, Senescent cells are your own cells, little lecture on senescent cells. Senescent cells are your cells, intrinsic cells that have had DNA damage. They go into a state of uh, resting called quiescence. 
And then the cell either fixes itself and it goes back to being normal. Uh, it commits cell suicide, which is becoming apoptotic. It just poof, it's gone. Um, becomes cancerous, in which case it's a big problem, or becomes senescent. A senescent cell um, becomes very blobular. It changes shape. The um, organelles don't work quite as well. And importantly, what it does is it releases all of these negative cytokines and it creates a huge negative inflammatory system. And it's very, it's sort of, it's contagious, right? So it's one bad apple in the bucket sort of deal where if you have one senescent cell, the rest of them around them, they become senescent cells. These huge senescent problems systemically around your body. Um, blah, blah. It's inflammatory cause. Anyway, it's very, very, very problematic. And the older you get, the more senescent cells you have. So then there's, dem- there's evidence demonstrating that if you get rid of them, you do better. How do you get rid of them? There are very few options. Um, the biggest thing that people are doing right now is a combination of quercetin uh, with some with a chemotherapy agent called desinitib. Oh. And they get rid of two different types of uh, senescent cells. So they're sort of synergistic. You don't have to do them together, but that's what the studies have demonstrated in like, you know, real people studies. Um, but so quercetin, if you take a little bit on a daily basis, uh, you're going to have a lot of just standard cellular benefit. And if you bolus it a significant amount every month or two, you can eradicate some of your senescent cells, not all of them, but some of your senescent cells, thus decreasing your senescent cell load, thus decreasing one of the inputs to um, being chronically inflamed. That's why quercetin is so important. Okay. I just love that you talked about this. <laughs> In such detail because I have, so my son used to be extremely allergic, seasonal allergies. They wanted to do all this immunotherapy and these drops that were, I had no idea what they were in them, but he ended up, his body rejected it. I'm like, screw this. And I've started him on dehist. Have you ever heard of dehist? It's a, you you start with a a loading dose. So kind of like what you were saying you know, a very, very high dose for the first week before the seasonal allergies start to kick in. And it's very high dose of quercetin with stinging nettle, a couple of other things. I'm telling you, that kid, well, he's not so much of a kid anymore. He's 21. He hasn't taken allergy pills in years because every... Quercetin. It's unbelievable how well it works you know people are like eh, whatever and then they they don't follow the loading dose and then it doesn't work the same I'm like you gotta follow it properly and your seasonal allergies will be dramatically decreased or even eradicated it works it's amazing mm-hmm. yeah and, and fisetin does roughly the same thing oh they're interesting. just they're just they're, they're fantastic Very interesting. Now, there was another thing I wanted to ask you about, and I don't think it's in your book, but I find it to be a very, very amazing, um, well, I guess it is the precursor to the mother antioxidant glutathione is NAC and acetylcysteine. Right, and acetylcysteine. What do you think about that? The reason I ask that is because there's been a lot of talk about it, in and around. And and I'm going to preface this by saying there's no medical advice being given here. It's just a conversation. You go and do your own research. It's just, we're just talking about it, but that it's great for the long COVID chronic cough and it helped me. What are your thoughts on it? So, so 
Yeah. Well, so interestingly, it's funny. I in in the medical world, we use it for like Tylenol toxicity, right? Right. Because when you have Tylenol toxicity, you're sort of destroyed your liver. You've destroyed your ability. You know, your your, your glutathione stores are all used up. Yeah. Right. So we get pseudocysteine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for years, I actually took NAC. Um, to make glutathione. And then I just realized that number one, I can, I have enough of my own glutathione. Um, again, it, it has to do with feedback loops, right? Yes. Are you deficient in glutathione or are you not? And can you make your own endogenous? And is it really, what's the rate limiting step if you don't? Is it the process of making it? Is it the breakdown of it? Yeah. I mean, it's the precursor to glutathione. Does it, does, does it necessarily, is, is that your problem? Do you have too much of it sitting around anyway? And the answer is, a little bit is probably not unreasonable. It also falls into the how old are you category. Yeah. If you are if you are below 40, you probably don't need it. You probably have significant amounts of glutathione as it is. If you're sitting on liver damage, it might be helpful depending on if you have the enzymes in order to convert it from one to the other. The other option is you can just take straight glutathione. That works too. Yeah. Right? There's There's many ways to skin a cat. I mean, you know, I goof around every now and then. So once a month, I'll give myself IV exosomes. Um, and then I'm like, well, I need to chase it down with something, right, to clear my IV, which sounds silly. So sometimes I'll just use straight-up glutathione, and sometimes I'll use acetylcysteine. Does Very it really cool. matter? I really have no way of knowing. Mm, okay. I just had to ask that. I know that's not, like, necessarily in your longevity stack, but... I just thought I'd ask because you're just so brilliant, no, no, Sandy. Any, anything's, a, anything's a fair question. Anything's yeah. a fair question. Okay. Absolutely. And we have hit an hour. Not that I am exact on time, but is there anything that we might have forgotten? Oh, gosh. I mean, so there's a million things. We could delve into any detail we you could. wanted. We but could. I think... I think that's, I think the brains of your audience are probably like, oh, we've had enough. Yeah, <laughs> probably. It's, 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 it's a lot of stuff. I've now rated 40 some agents and I, you know, my, my, my remembrance of details is also usually like, eh. So there's just some amazing agents out there. Amazing combinations of agents. I guess the take home messages. Everyone's different. Build a protocol that works for individuals um the stuff is real it's not made up it's cellular biology um you know perfect go on a protocol if you can that that's that's it and and tell me now i have your first book which is called um why we age and how to stop it tell me about your second book tell us like what's the is it a continuation so what it is is when i wrote the first book longevity was kind of new right yeah um, there were no true experts out there. Everyone was living in silos and I, it drove me nuts that there was no organization to this, which is why I stuck it in the seven tenants and why I thought, you know, I'm going to start trying to figure out which exactly which agents are the best. And what would happen is you'd be reading about sirtuins, for example, and it would say, was Veratrol comma, the gold standard and be like, well, hell it's the gold standard. We should probably talk about that. Since then, the number of things that people have been using has just blown up, right? I mean, some of them are fantastic and some of them suck, to be perfectly honest. So the next book was the next 28 agents that I found to be just tremendous. Oh. And everyone gets pissed that, I, of course, I don't include their particular favorite and why not and blah, 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 blah. But these are the ones that I decided were absolutely remarkable uh, for very particular reasons that also explained different aspects of aging. So, for example, 
when I wrote book one, no one was talking about the mitochondrial transition pore, right? And like, oh my God, this is a big deal. How do we control this thing? So there's a big explanation of what that is and what agents actually can help to control that. That's very significant with aging. Um, there was, you know, very little discussion about DNA support systems. Well, now it is. Well, now we know magnesium, of course, helps to, you know, control the, the, the three-dimensional structure of your DNA. Like, that's fantastic. Um, so there's whole lots of new intricate aspects of aging as demonstrated by the next prominent 28 agents. And I'm not saying by any means that people have to take all of them, but there are more choices to sort of better, you know, come up with a personal protocol. Okay, this is awesome. And how about your app? Is it active? Is it not active? I know you used to. Okay, so you're not doing the app anymore, but we can find your books on Amazon. You have a website. And what is that? Yep. So website is kaufmanprotocol.com. Very simple. If anyone has any questions, I have an email address uh, in the contact me page. I openly admit that I'm the only person that reads these emails. It takes me a significant amount of time to do so because, again, this is my hobby. This is not my actual job. Uh, but I do get to everyone's questions. It does take me a bit of time. Uh, people frequently ask me for personal consults, and I'm willing to do that as well. We can talk about details if people actually want that uh, sort of offline. Um I'm pretty much easy to find. The app bit the dust. We clearly hired the wrong developers, and there were millions of problems with technical issues, and I decided that it was not worth my pain and torture, so I discontinued it. All right. Okay. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Sandy. I love talking to you. I could talk to you for hours. (laughs) You and me both. This is my favorite subject, and You know what? You bring up fantastic questions and it's just absolutely a delight. Thank you, Sandy. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Be sure to share it with someone you know might benefit. And always remember, when you rate, review, subscribe, you help to support my content and help me to keep going and bringing these conversations to you each and every week. Join me next week for a new topic, new guest, new exciting conversations to help you live your best life.